Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Happy Veterans Day. Happy Fizz Five. Ian Unsworth, Francesco Simone with you this week. Heading on the weekend. Francesco, they're playing a game on a boat today. They are playing a game on a boat today. Syracuse did it 10 years ago today, and now it's Michigan State and Gonzaga. How about that, huh? Uh, apparently, there are up to 10 mile an hour winds. Take that's the not, under. That's not going to go well. That's not going to go, go well. well. No. Hopefully, no one gets hurt. But we are here to dive into the Syracuse sports world. There's a whole lot going on. Syracuse basketball is 1-0, 2-0 if we're talking about the women's team, 1-0 if we're talking about the men's team who plays Colgate on Tuesday. But one of the superstar recruits from a couple years ago, Benny Williams, doesn't look like himself. We'll tell you why. And then football this Saturday, last home game of 2022 against Florida State. How did the Orange turn turn around a sinking ship? We'll tell you all that and more. This is Fizz 5, and we'll get started with topic number one, the Syracuse men's basketball opener against Lehigh. Number one. On Monday, the Orange in Jim Beheim's 47th season, Francesco, snapped Lehigh 90-72. to It was pretty much all SU from the jump. 44-26, although Lehigh did lead after the first break, 9-7. Jesse Edwards was utilized early on, and that changed the game. Yeah, Jesse Edwards, you, you mentioned it, changed the game. And it was a lot of what we had seen last season from Jesse Edwards that made him really so successful, averaging 12 points a game over 6.5 rebounds per game. It's that pick and roll on the offensive end. Jim Beheim's talked about it. Jesse Edwards doesn't have a post move, right? You can't give him the ball on the block and expect him to go up against Armando Baycott, back him down, and make a basket. That's not his game. And you're not going to expect him to shoot outside either. Even from 15 feet away, Beheim said this after Southern New Hampshire, one of the exhibition games, he said, they track his jump shots in practice. He makes 24% of them. So you don't want him taking those. You want him getting in a pick and roll with now either Joe Girard or Judah Mintz, two guys that have you know a passing ability, two guys that are starting in the backcourt for them. Get in the pick and roll, get in the basketball, go into the hoop, be strong, be aggressive, put the ball in the basket, and get fouled. Don't just settle for two free throws. Take the basket, get the end one as a bonus. And he did that. The other thing with Jesse's performance, you can't have three, four rebounds in a game like he did against Southern New Hampshire. He had 11 boards. Nine of those came on the defensive end. Jesse is is the rebounder for Syracuse, unless Malik Brown's in the game. I, I think it's a little bit of this, though, Ian. When they play man versus when they play zone, there's a difference. When you play zone, the forwards are expected to rebound a lot more, right? So Cole Swider led this team in rebounding last year. He had almost nine rebounds, Cole Swider did. When you're playing man, you've got the center in the middle of that of that defense, no matter what. He's not going out to the corners to cover a three-point shooter. He's not coming up to the foul line to cover a jump shooter, right? He is in the middle of that defense, and you expect him at 6'11", when the tallest player Lehigh had was 6'8". You expect him to grab 11 rebounds, which is exactly what he did. Lehigh did have two 6'11 centers on their bench, but this dude named Henri Adiasa, who was from Cameroon playing in his first college basketball game, came in, got two fouls in the span of about a minute, and they put him right back on the bench. Lehigh's starting center, JT Tan, was 6'8", 280. He's a big guy. Jesse Edwards had his way with him, though. Yeah. And he was 5 of 8 from the field, 8 of 10 from the free throw line. That's a new career high for Jesse, those eight makes. And four blocks, two steals. He looked really good on defense as well, especially in that man-to-man. 
Yeah, he did. But I, I want to go back to that stat you mentioned, the 8 for 10 from the foul line. That's going to be so, so, so important. For Shot 60% Evans. from the line last year. Yeah, which is for a center is not terrible, right? But when you're shooting, when you go from 60% to 80%, that's a lot of extra points over the course of an entire season, right? You know, in one game, that's two points, right? 6 out of 10, 8 out of 10. But think about that over 35, you know, hopefully more than that games for Syracuse basketball. It's a lot of points that you're adding to a total. And Jesse Edwards is going to have the ball in his hands a lot this season, maybe more so than anybody not named Gerard or Mintz. So, you know, going to the foul line is important, making your foul shots just as important. Speaking of making your foul shots, JG3 was 5 of 5 from the charity stripe. He was 5 of 10, 4 for 6 behind the arc. He started to heat up in the second half. We saw a bit of what Joe Gerard can be as an off-ball scorer, but Francesco, I think there was a bit of sharing as well. Judah Mintz was shaky early on, so Jim Beheim said, all right, Joe, you're going to take it up a couple times. You're going to run the offense to let Judah settle in. And then once Mintz got going on that first half run towards halftime, JG3 really stretched off the ball, and we saw him run off curls, get open looks for three, and the offense started humming. And I love that, that that's an option for this team, right? you got Judah Mintz, who I think we can both agree is a more physically talented player than Joe oh, Girard. Oh, for I think sure. everybody would say that, For right? sure. And I think he's a better ball handler than Joe Girard is. But there is something to be said for three years of experience as a starting point guard in the ACC versus a 19-year-old, 18-whatever-he-is kid who just came from high school, right? There is a certain level of maturity, not just you know personal maturity, basketball maturity that comes with that, right? And the fact that Gerard is an option to handle the basketball, whether it's to give a defense a different look or, hey, Judah, you're a little, you're going a little too fast right now. Because that happens for freshmen, right? Yeah. They start overthinking. They start making bad pass. Judah Mintz missed a wide-open layup early in the game, right? Overthinking. We know he can make that shot, right? Obviously. So when he's doing that, you give the ball to Joe, a calming presence, which is something new for Joe, right? Because last year, you know, we would not have called Joe Girard a calming presence. He was Jekyll and Hyde. He was Jekyll and Hyde. He was the guy who we got to bring Symeer in to become the calming presence to counterbalance Joe. So the fact that Gerard looked like that, it was a game against Lehigh. Understood, right? We'll see how the season goes on. But the fact that that is what happened on Monday, good, right? It can't be a bad thing. And Symeer Torrance looked very comfortable. He's looked much improved from last year. He hit a three. He had 10 points. That's a career high for him. I talked to him after the game, and he said that he likes playing with Judah Mintz. We saw a bit of that. Francesco, I think that's that's a system that could work really well. Going forward, uh, well, let's go Let's go two, two questions here. Okay. I'll start with who needs to improve for this SU offense to really get humming. Scoring 90 points against Lehigh, as we mentioned, short players. You know, guards aren't as athletic, aren't as talented as Syracuse is. Lehigh had one dude named Evan Taylor, who's a preseason all-Patriot all League first-teamer. He had 20. He looked good guarding Gerard, but then that's 6-1 on 6-6 on right. the defensive end. Right. That Evan Taylor should look good guarding Joe Gerard. Who needs to get going on the Syracuse offense to, to make this team really hum? It's either Chris Bell or Justin Taylor. Give me one of those two guys, right? Those two are brought in to be... The new small forward. One of them is, or a timeshare at that small forward position. You lose Buddy Beheim, you lose Cole Swider, who shared that time last year. Swider more so, but towards the end of the season, you saw more three-guard lineups with Buddy, Gerard, and Symeer. Either Bell or Taylor needs to be a three-point shooting option to complement Joe Gerard because that's something this team lacks. They shot 6-for-12 on Monday against Lehigh, which is good, but Gerard shot 4-for-6. Everybody else, the most three somebody attempted... 
Torrance one for two, and Bell one for two. And Syracuse got almost half its points in the paint. Exactly. There was no need to shoot the there three. There was no need to shoot three. You're 100% right. But one of Bell or, or Taylor, those two guys are known as sharpshooters on the offensive end. One of them needs to establish themselves as the three-point threat. Because when you play a UNC, when you play a Duke of Virginia, whatever the case may be, you need options from outside. Because Jesse Edwards is not going to bully Armando Baker. No. Right? So you need somebody to be a threat from the outside. We talked about the pick and roll with Jesse Edwards earlier on, right? If there's nobody shooting, you're not gonna you're gonna roll with Jesse and be fine. Because if the option's not open down low, the ball's going to the weak side. Exactly. Right. So if you the defense is gonna go to Jesse on the pick and roll, they're gonna come off the shooters because no, that guy is not that guy's not gonna make not gonna make it anyway. So we're gonna go with Jesse because he's the bigger threat. So to add to not just you know. From a three-point scoring perspective, it's 2022, about to be 2023. You need three-point shooting in the sport of basketball. Oh, of course. But to help the entire offense really get to where it can be, either Bell or Taylor have to be that sharpshooter on the wing. And then alongside with that, Judah Mintz is going to start taking threes at some point, and he's got to make I'm going with Justin Taylor to step up. I don't think Chris Bell stays in the starting lineup much longer. Not, I, I don't He's hate that one take. of two players I don't think stays in the starting lineup that much longer. Ooh, a little tease? A little tease. But first, on the point of Bell, he was the first player Jim Beheim expressly mentioned in his press conference postgame. And it was because Bell did not go after the loose balls. Yeah. He was not hustling on defense. And it wasn't for anything else. Justin Taylor was one of seven against Lehigh on Monday. But he played 20 minutes. He had four rebounds. He had three in his first shift, which he, he was the first guy off the bench. He had three rebounds in his first shift. And he looked very similar to Buddy Beheim. I, I don't want to make that comparison, but the game is very similar. It's the two dribbles to the free throw line. I don't care if your hand's in my face. I'm shooting it. Yeah, That sort of thing. There's a way to fit Taylor in this offense, just like there was a role for Buddy Beheim last year. It's not as expansive it's not as versatile but there's a way to fit Taylor in this offense and it should work he got a lot of action off those curl screens in the second half and the way he's built compared to the way Chris Bunch is built same height maybe Bunch is a few inches taller excuse me Bell is a few inches taller but Taylor's got 30 pounds on him oh yeah you need that size in ACC play oh yeah no I mean I talked to Jerry McNamara about it before the season at media day I asked him, you know, the whole Justin Taylor, Buddy uh, Buddy Beheim comparison, right? Is that real or did people just make this up? And he said, listen, it's it's kind of real, right? The fact that he admitted that, it is kind of out there because they play a very similar game, like you said, the mid-range game, the shooting game. But the difference is Justin Taylor way more physically developed than Buddy Beheim ever was in his Syracuse career. I mean, think about it. Buddy Beheim never looked like Justin Taylor did. Never, right? So, you know, an option that can step up on the offensive end, but like you mentioned, you're not really losing any defense. He's not a liability because he's got the size. No, and I would say most of the team looks solid in man-to-man defense. I cannot remember an occasion where Taylor was beat off the dribble. Very happy with the man-to-man, Francesco. I think I would say it's hard to not be happy with it. 72 points is 72 points, but when you score 90, the man seemed to work, and when SU went back to the zone 15 minutes into the first half, it was awesome. See, I'm glad you brought that up. I don't want, I'm glad, I think the man was all right, right? I think it was fine, right? I don't want them to play 35 minutes of man and five minutes of zone, though, because the second half was almost entirely man. So they're only playing five minutes of zone at the end of the first half. I thought I thought it looked a million times better than it did last year. It looked year. really good with Quidir Copeland and Saimir up top, that's for sure. Copeland can space out every once in a while, but he's got length up there. Absolutely. Then you've also got on the wings, 
you've got either Bell or Taylor, and you've got a Benny Williams or a Malik Brown, right? And underneath even, Jesse Edwards. But Manir Hema looks like a freak of an athlete. He, he's a shot blocker for sure. He, I, I, against Southern New Hampshire, he got up there. His hand on a shot block was above the square on the backboard. I mean, it was... It was impressive to see. Yes, he's 6'11", I understand that. But still, that's that's really getting seven, up there. 7'7", wingspan. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive, right? Not a whole lot of guys have that. So I think they have plenty of athleticism to play a really good zone, much more than last year when you had Jimmy Bayheim and Cole Swider traffic cones on defense, right? So when, when you've got the athleticism, yes, okay, play the man, give teams a different look. Okay, I understand. That also keeps Jesse Edwards out of foul trouble. Only had one foul. When's the last time a Syracuse center had that? But don't completely abandon the zone because I think that is a real weapon. It is, but I wouldn't say zone is advisable against Colgate, a team that is known to shoot the lights out of the ball, put up 100 on Syracuse, made 17 threes last year against Syracuse. The man is probably option number one for Jim Beheim. Topic number two brings us to a guy that's not option number one, probably never will be at Syracuse, and it seems like Jim Beheim is close to putting him on the pine. What's up with Benny Williams? That's topic number two here on Fizz 5. Number two. All right, Francesco Simone, we got to get into this. Benny Williams <laughs> played 23 minutes. He was one for four. He traveled more times than he did make <laughs> baskets. Yeah, frequent flyer miles. Uh, I, the Benny thing is is tough. It, it seems like there's a, a mental, just a, a bit of a mental yeah. block for Benny. I, I, I couldn't have put it any better. Um. With Benny, he's got all the physical talent in the world in terms of he's 6'9", listed at 210. Jim Beheim called him 220, I believe. And I think he looks a lot bigger than he did last year just looking at him in person. When you've got that kind of size, he was a five, maybe a four-star recruit, whatever your preferred recruiting outlet is, right? I don't really care. Either way, he was a an elite prospect coming Top out of high 50. school. Top 50. There we go. Fair. Top 50 recruit coming out of high school. He's got all the size in the world, like I mentioned. Big wingspan, athleticism, this, that, and the other thing. He's getting boxed out by guys who were 6'6". He was getting boxed out against Southern New Hampshire by guys who were 6'4". Right? That can't happen. And the only, the only excuse I have for that is there's something in his head because there has to be a reason why he's not being more aggressive even though Jim Beheim says every time he's at a podium, we need Benny to be more aggressive. I think it comes from last year when Benny plays three minutes a game. He's only allowed to get real run in garbage time when Syracuse is down 20 to Duke in the first half. He looked good when there were no expectations on him. There was no pressure on him. Just a crowd to cheer him on, and hey, nobody cares if you make a mistake because Duke's already got this game in the bag. The leash was too tight last year, in my opinion. I think the leash was a little too tight, and it's showing now because after Benny's second travel... He, didn't, he just walked to the bench. He put his head down and walked straight to the end of the bench. He knew he was coming out of the game. Yes, mistakes like that are, are not good, especially when you're the only one on the team that's getting a little antsy and taking two steps before you dribble the ball. And the shot doesn't look good. He airballed one in the first half against yeah. Lehigh. But I, I just think it's all mental. He needs a, he needs a game where he can run free and and get down low and be physical. Maybe that's against Colgate, who's going to play four guards. But he needs a game to run free and find find some rhythm down low. Because Jim Beheim said, Benny thinks he's a two. He's not a two. He's he will never two. play like a two. No. He's not a two. No, you're 100% right. And the thing that I want to make clear about Benny Williams, this kid works really, really hard. I mean, I, I think you and I both saw it at, at certain points last year. He was staying after games when he played two or three minutes, right? And he was taking shots. 
an hour after the game, right? He works really hard. He cares a lot. It's not as if he's he's lazy in any sense. That's not that's not what it is whatsoever. There's just a, a mental block in his head that's not allowing him to be as aggressive as his talent says that he should be. Now, whether it's, you know, the fact that he didn't play a lot last year, whether it's something else, I'm not a psychologist, I can't answer that question, but there's something there, and it's a shame because there's so much talent in that frame, so much you can dream on, it's just not coming through right now. And it's on Jim Beheim, it's on Red Autry, it's on Alan Griffin, it's on Jerry McNamara to find what that is because it's not okay to waste the talent like this. Jim Beheim said he's not going to put any stock into changing Benny Williams' mindset, his attitude, and he just said if Benny's not going to get aggressive, if he's not going to play the three, the four like he's supposed to, he's going to sit. And luckily for Syracuse, it looks like the Orange can do that this year. They don't have to play Benny if they don't need. Malik Brown uh, looked yep. really good, yep. and Francesco, he knows his role. Yep. Yeah, no, he knows his role, absolutely. He said in his in his Qs.com intro video or whatever, he said, yeah, I have two goals, rebounding and defense. When was the last time you were an 18-year-old kid in the Steph Curry three-point era say that? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I mean, Munir Hima said he's he's there to block shots and run the floor. Yeah, you've got guys yeah. coming off the bench like that. It'll it'll work just fine. But I mean, Malik Brown specifically, he's 6'8", he's 215, Every bit of the physically physically imposing figure that Benny Williams is. Maybe not quite as athletic. Okay, that's fair. But he's got the mindset that's completely different. He's got that aggressive mindset where he'll go after the boards on the defensive end, even on the offensive end. When he gets a layup opportunity, he makes it. No problem. He defends very well. Man, zone, doesn't really matter. Put him out there. He's going to play defense. He's a Jim Beheim player. What else can you say about him? Those scrappy forwards that Beheim had back in, in, the, in the heydays, the early 2010s. Yeah. And if Brown gets a three-point shot on him, oh. That's that's an NBA player. That's a 3 and D wing. You've got money right there. So I think that's the next step for Brown. The next step for Williams is just clearing his head, getting into a game, just running free, and hopefully that comes sometime early in this this preseason. Uh, not, not preseason, excuse me, non-conference before the Orange get to tough tasks against uh, the Richmonds, the Temples, the St. John's of the world, and then in Illinois when we really see how much rope this Orange team can get. Okay, topic number three, the women's team, 2-0 under Felicia Leggett-Jack. Number three. So, Francesco, yesterday, SU took down Colgate 72-48 in the season opener. Syracuse beat Stony Brook 79-56. Talk about depth. The Syracuse women's team really has it. They can go 10 deep. They can go 10 deep, and this is something that you could not say about this team last year. No, sir. They played six, six players. And they really, honestly, if, if uh, not Quentin Hillsman, sorry, Von Reed could have chosen, he would have played four if he could have. Because there were not five players he trusted last year. Absolutely I, not. I would say so. So, the fact that you go from that to now, you've got off the bench, right? Kyra Wood had 20 minutes. Sanaya Wilson had 11 minutes. Kennedy Perkins, 12. Naya Wilson, 13. Lexi McNabb even had 10. Ava Irvin had eight. Now, a little bit of that is because of, you know, garbage time against the Colgate team. They beat by 30 almost. But the fact that you have that many players that you trust, by the way, Georgia Woolley, not available. Cheyenne McEvans, not available. Olivia Owens, not available. There's three more right there. And a couple of those you can make the case should start. There's a lot of really talented pieces on the Syracuse team, and it's night and day from last year. Absolutely. It's night and day because you now have guards that can get in the lane besides Tisha Hyman. You have bigs that are focused on rebounding 
no offense to Alasia Styles because she was Syracuse's only big last year. Yeah. But she was very comfortable stepping out, shooting the mm. 18 footer, mm. and tried her best on the boards, but there's only so much you can do when you have no help. Yeah. Now Syracuse has four different players who will blindly run at the glass, including Dariana Lewis, who's got two double doubles already. She had 15 and 16 against Stony Brook and then 12-10 and 10 against Colgate, and she only played 26 out of the 40 minutes. Great, great-looking group of bigs down low. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the best part about it is you could argue their best one hasn't played yet. Olivia Owens is the five-star recruit. Now listen, things happen in Maryland, things happen at Kentucky. Now there's some sort of team rules issue that Felicia Leggett-Jack hasn't told us what it is exactly, but she hasn't played in the first two games. The assumption is she eventually will. Olivia Owens is six foot four, right? Dariana Lewis... Very athletic, very big, very powerful. 6'1", 6'2", though. Mm. When you go up against ACC competition, the NC States, the Louisville's of the world, that's some of the top teams in the country, you go up against 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, players. You're going to need that size. Now, Dariana Lewis, like I mentioned, very strong, Asia, Asia strong, same idea, very powerful players. But when that height comes in with Olivia Owens, now you've really got something you can work with. And Syracuse doesn't play a Power 5 team for another 10 days when they go to Penn State. Then they play Purdue on November 30th. The first ACC contest is against Wake Forest on the December 18th. And Francesco, scheduling has worked out well for FLJ and company. You have four top 15 teams right now in the top 25 coming to the JMA Dome. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously that helps for a team that is not... Not necessarily young. There's a lot of veterans on this team, but they just it's haven't... It's still meshing. They haven't played together, right, is the issue. There's, they're veterans, but they've all come from all over the country, right? Buffalo, Kentucky, Alabama, A&M, wherever the case may be, right? It's a team that doesn't have the cohesiveness as of yet, and there's no way it could have had the cohesiveness because they never played together. So you get a little bit of time to work that out, non-conference play, right? Not very difficult, and Penn State's not exactly a juggernaut either. No. So it's not like, you know, it's not like you're going to be buried by, by New Year's. So once you then get into that ACC slate, and as you mentioned, you're welcoming those big-time teams in. It's easier to win in college basketball, easier to win in any sport, obviously, when you're at home than when you're on the road. So give yourself the best chance possible, and, you know, why not see where this goes? Now I want to ask you this. What's a successful season for the Syracuse women's basketball team? I would say winning a game or two in the ACC tournament. You maybe you keep it competitive for three quarters with NC State, a Louisville, someone like that who's at the upper echelon of the ACC. And maybe you sneak into sneak into March Madness, even if you don't. I think NIT CBI is very a very successful start for Felicia Leggett Jack. And keep in mind, she is someone that can really recruit. Yeah, she flipped recruit players from Buffalo to Syracuse, mm-hmm. and she will be all over the place with her influence, with her status as a Syracuse star back in the late '80s yeah. to bring players to the three one five. This is a program that has made Final Fours in the past twenty years, and. I think Felicia Leggett-Jack will get them back there in two or three years. Yeah, I would agree. I would say, listen, give me an NIT appearance, I'd be happy. Yeah. Just just give me something to grab onto to say, okay, we're going in the right direction after just an abysmal 18 months for this program. And like you mentioned, you know, the recruiting aspect, it's a snowball effect, right? If you see the players on this team, you know, at the Asia Fair, Atisha Hyman having success, you say, hey, I'm a playmaking guard. I want to go play for that team, right? I know I can do it because I've seen people do it. Same in every sport. Women's basketball is no different. So as, you know, as the winning comes, as players develop, you know, maybe you get a couple players in the WNBA here and there, then players can really dream on Syracuse. And when that happens, it snowballs and snowballs and snowballs until all of a sudden you've got a winning program. Let's hope that's coming around the corner for Syracuse women's basketball, 2-0 in the first week of the season. 
Syracuse football, on the other hand, has lost its last three games. The Orange play Florida State tomorrow. That's topic number four. Number four. A lot of problems on this Syracuse football team. Oh, really? They can't run the ball anymore. Nope. Don't know if the starting quarterback's healthy. Nope. The offensive line has turned into a sieve. Mm. Four defensive starters are out, and there could be more. Yeah. Where do you go from here? Where do you go from here as the number one rushing attack in the conference comes to town? Trey Benson and Trey Sean Ward, FSU's two lead backs, carry the ball for 10 or more yards on about 20% of their carries. So one of every five times, one of those two backs touches the ball, and that's not mentioning Lawrence Torofili, who's also a great back. Florida State's getting a first down. Yeah. Yeah. And you got Elijah Fuentes Cundiff in the middle. Yeah. And Kevon Darton, who's 245. <laughs> Francesco, I guess we'll start there, but there are a whole lot of roads we could go down with this team, and none of them are very good. No, no, I, I love this road that you went down, right? Let me give you some numbers, Ian. Trey Benson, how many yards to carry do you think he averages? Seven, I know. Seven on the dot, right? Trey Sean Ward, give me a number. 6.8. 6.8 on the dot. As a team, it's 5.5. And you forgot to mention, Jordan Travis, not bad either with his legs. Oh, great. I so, mean, grad student quarterback, yeah. he, the, I think my favorite thing about Jordan Travis, forget about his running ability for a sec, he just he doesn't make bad decisions. He doesn't throw it away a lot. You know, He doesn't have to throw picks when he needs. He doesn't throw a lot of picks in, in bad no. situations. Only got four picks on the year. You mentioned it, 17 touchdowns. When Syracuse and Florida State played last year, Jordan Travis was awful. Not, not in that game specifically. He was okay running the ball. But as a, in general, coming into that contest, I remember, um, everyone was like, oh, they got a chance because Jordan Travis stinks. Well, because Mackenzie Milton was their starter last right. year. He played the first, what, four games, and then Travis had to play. He, that was his first start last year yeah. against Syracuse because Milton got hurt in the game prior. Yeah. And, I mean, he's turned himself into a, a, a good quarterback, right? He's got 2,300 yards almost, averaging 9.1 a pop. 17 touchdowns, four picks. He's only been sacked nine times. You got a good quarterback. You got a running game that averages five and a half a carry. You got two running backs that are almost at seven. And you got a a Syracuse defense that has nobody on it anymore. Nobody. So what do you do? I really don't know. Blitz. You got a blitz. That's my only answer for Tony White. Uh, You know your corners are good enough, even though you've got Isaiah Johnson and Jeremiah Wilson playing on one side. Those corners are good enough. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin isn't walking through those doors no, for Florida no, State. He's not. No, he's uh, not. He's too busy eating hamburgers and Oreos. <laughs> but, uh, again, Florida State's wide receivers aren't world beaters. So, I think you leave your guys out on the outside one-on-one, pray Justin Barron doesn't get smoked in the slot by Micah Pittman, Oregon transfer. and Michael Pittman's brother. Yeah, yeah you, you just let it rip. Bring six, seven, eight guys on every play and pray you can stop them. Uh, that's my only answer. You know how you beat a blitz? Run the football. You Well, not a run blitz. Yeah, you beat a blitz. A run blitz, you just throw it on the perimeter. Yeah, okay, but a pass blitz. If you're, if you're rushing the passer off the edge, you run the football. Yeah. So, But I'm, I meant run blitz. Okay, And I think we'll see a lot of screens from Florida State. I think we'll see misdirection from Florida State. I think we'll see a trick play or two from Mike Norvell's squad Spe- early on. Play? A special play? A, yes, a special <laughs> play. It, if you shut down the dome crowd early, you, you, you really increase your chances of winning the game. And also, you, you run the ball to yeah. do that. You get more yeah. first downs on third down by doing that. And one of those trick plays, one of those gadgets, will will take SU's fan base out. And, hey, you know, half the kids, half the college students, 
the families with with the young ones, they might be gone by halftime if yeah. it's if it's twenty one to seven. You want to know why Dino Babers doesn't win in November? Because his rosters are thin. Exactly. It comes down to recruiting, right? When you when you don't recruit well, and I get it, it's Syracuse. It's not all his fault. Yada yada yada. Right? This, that, and the other thing. But when you don't recruit well, you have injuries as, as the season goes on. Everybody in college football, everybody in football, high school, pee wee, NFL, whatever the case may be, nobody's healthy in the month of November, right? But when you have depth and when you recruit to depth, you can wear, weather those injuries a lot better than a Syracuse can when you got Elijah Fuentes kind of as your backup defensive tackle and a 200-whatever-pound Kayvon Darton as your starting defensive tackle. And there's, there's not much you can really say besides... It's it's on the staff to to fill in more gaps. They filled in gaps at some places, corner for example. Yeah. But the portal has to be a place of of real interest for Syracuse this offseason and has to be a place of development for Syracuse. A guy like Jared Verse, who's now a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, mm-hmm. picked Florida State over Syracuse after the Orange whooped on his U Albany Great Danes last year. So that's something Syracuse should really focus on because getting 230-pound, 240-pound guys from high school is one thing, but getting 270, 280-pounders who have played three years of college football is another, and that's what helps you win come November. Part of the issue with that, though, is the, spe- the specificity of the 3-3-5 defense, right? Jared Verse is a stand-up pass rusher, stand-up 3-4 pass rusher. Can play a 4-3 edge, sure, but he's not playing a 3-3-5 defensive end. I think Steve Linton would be a great 3-4 pass rusher. I think Steve Linton would be a great—you're 100% right. He'd be a great 3-4 pass rusher. Probably have to put on 20 pounds anyway. But you know what would be a great 3-4 pass rusher? Stefan Thompson. Yeah. He'd be fantastic in that role. I think he will play that role in the NFL one day. So when you, when you have the specificity of this 3-3-5 defense, hey, it's gone great for Tony White, right? You can't really complain about it. But that is the one drawback of, okay, you have to recruit to it, and when you're going through the transfer portal, not a whole lot of guys out there that are familiar with that defense and that have the, you know— it, it limits your talent pool because not everybody fits it. All right, so as we are disappointed by Syracuse football, we have to reference an article on the site by our Ethan Frank. You can check it out at theorangefizz.com or on Twitter at orangefizz, where all of our articles are posted, along with game day coverage, our Twitter space reactions after every single game, and anything else you need to know about Syracuse football and basketball. Francesco, Ethan wrote that starting 6-0 hurt Syracuse more than it helped. I want to break that down, and what's the future for SU football with Topic 5? Number 5. We'll put the statement out there. Did starting undefeated at 6-0 hurt Syracuse football more than it helped? Oh, that's a tough one. It's an interesting question. It definitely is. Um, and I see, where, I see where you're going with that, right? Because I see where Ethan's going with that, too. Um, everybody remembers what happened last, right? In anything in life. Everybody remembers what happened five minutes ago, not five hours ago, right? Five days ago, not five years ago, whatever the case may be. So if the last taste in people's mouth about Syracuse football is ending the season, what I think is going to end, what I think is going to be one in five. They're going to beat Boston College, they're going to lose to FSU and Wake Forest. Fair? Pretty fair. Okay, so you finish one in five. You're going to remember one in five with... 230-pound defensive lineman, more so than you're going to remember 6-0, and beating a, g- a pretty good Purdue team, a Louisville team that's, I guess, not terrible, right? An NC State team without Devin Leary and before MJ Morris became good. And then, you know, Wagner, Virginia, who stinks, and who else am I forgetting? UConn, who stinks. Yeah. Well, UConn, they might make a bowl game, but they're not good. 
Right. UConn looked better than Virginia, that's for sure. That's a good point, but they're not good, right? No. Fair? Neither of those teams are good. So, like, it, it begs the question of, okay, you beat a bunch of— you beat one good team in Purdue. Purdue's pretty good. Everybody else you beat is not good, right? Then you get into the gauntlet of ACC play, and then Notre Dame is well on top of that, and you can't even compete. Well, you compete against Clemson, but you get blown out by Notre Dame. You get stomped by Pitt. If you get stomped by FSU and Wake— that's the, the taste that's going to be left in your mouth. So in that sense, it's kind of like you were at the high of 6-0, and and then crashing down to 1-5 and almost makes you wish, hey, you know, if we're going to finish 7-5 and anyway, let's go, you know, 3-2, and and then 4-3. and Let's not go 6-0, and and then 1-5, and where there's that upswing. You think, you know, at halftime of the Clemson game, people were, taking, were thinking college football playoff, and it wasn't the craziest thought in the world. Then the second half happened. Notre Dame happened, and now here we are after Pitt. That kind of downswing, I think, is terrible for a mental, from a mental standpoint. The saying that winning cures all evils is very applicable to this SU team. With the, with the Purdue game, Sean Tucker has a lackluster performance. Yeah. And really, it's Purdue's hissy fit. At, at, I don't know what the yeah. heck happened in the last two minutes on the Boilermakers sideline, but it imploded. Mm-hmm. and that really put Syracuse in great position to win the game. Virginia's one scores. Andre Schmidt has the game of his life. Yeah. I mean, we can go through each and every one of these games until the second half of Clemson. There are reasons why Syracuse was put in the position to win. There are a lot of games that other teams might have lost instead yeah. of Syracuse winning. Virginia's kicker misses missed a field goal at the beginning of the game. Virginia had its backup kicker out there in the missed second half. Missed field goal, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you, blocked an extra point too. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned NC State and the whole Devin Leary thing. That was a total fiasco on the NC State side. I don't think Dave Doran handled that the right way. Uh, but winning masks some real real questions about this team. Wait, why doesn't Sean Tucker have the burst that he did last year? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Wait. It, it, the second receiver besides Aronde Gadsden, there's no second receiver besides Aronde Gadsden. There is. Courtney Jackson has zero catches. Yeah. And, and you ask all these questions, then good teams expose your weaknesses. Mm. We compound that with the injuries we talked about already. All that being said, though, Dino Babers will deserve credit for this year. It's the same story as last year. Yeah, you start well, you play bad teams, you beat them, and then you lose to. The, the top class, the ACC. But making a bowl game wasn't in the cards for this team. Everybody thought they were going to go 5-7 and seven again. Yeah. So even though it, it feels the same as it did last year, just gut punch after gut punch as we near Thanksgiving, give Dino Babers credit. He made the staff changes necessary. There's been some development at those positions where staff changes were made. You lose two of your key cornerstones in week one. And you just keep on losing more of them. This felt like the year for Syracuse before the injuries, and now it's maybe not the year. Yeah. But all things considered, making a bowl this year was paramount for Dino sticking around, and I think was paramount to keep a lot of fans around for Syracuse football. And they accomplished that, even if it's just the pinstripe bowl, even if it's just the Fenway bowl. (laughs) Syracuse might not be going to Florida this year. USU fans might not get your tans on before New Year's Day. But making a bowl is a significant accomplishment for this program that, let's not forget, went 1-10 two years ago. Yeah, it's fair. And, I mean, you mentioned, you know, 
big for Dino. I think the second point you had about big for Syracuse fans sticking around, I think is more applicable because I don't think Dino's going anywhere anyway. The whole, you know, the buyout conversation, which has been uh, hashed out on every platform in every medium around the city, right? I don't think Dino Babers is going anywhere until his contract expires. So maybe he wasn't going to get fired. But if he went 5-7 and seven again, as a fan, what do you do? Like, you know, you look at this team and it's like, I'm coming back for this. And then you're going to lose Michael Jones. You're going to lose Sean Tucker. You're going to lose Garrett Williams. You're going to lose Matthew Bergeron, right? And they're going to be replaced by Enrique Cruz, who hasn't been very good. You know, LaQuint Allen, who showed some flashes. Next season's not looking great. I'm not. I'm going to be honest, right? Next season, you're not going to have as much to grab onto in terms of talent as you do this year. So that's why the bowl means so much. Exactly, because you get something out of this group, right? You get something out of it. It's not the Orange Bowl. might be the Pinstripe Bowl. Whatever the case may be, it's something as opposed to nothing, which I guess you always take something over nothing. That's what matters for Dino Babers. Get his team in the postseason headlines. Keep keep everything relevant until December. And if, if you walk away with a bowl win, this team will be happy. And if Syracuse faces, I mean, look at right now, it seems like SU would stand to face another low-level Power 5 conference team. Like the, a 6-6 a six and six Big Ten team, something along those lines. Yeah, you're, yeah. Get, you're getting a, hmm, let's see, I'm trying to think. Maybe you're pulling a Minnesota without its lead running back. Maybe you're pulling a, I mean, I don't, I'd hope they wouldn't play Mississippi State because Mississippi that State would, would, s- well. would smack that them would around. Happen. Minnesota would smack them around too, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, maybe you're getting like an Oregon State. I think that would be a very interesting maybe. matchup. Whatever it is, I think a bowl game for Syracuse is a win for everybody, and it's a big win for Dino Babers because it showed, hey, the changes you made over the offseason paid off, and you know you had some hard luck this year, as the Orange team did have every year. That'll wrap things up on Fizz 5 this week. For Francesco Simone, I'm Ian Unsworth. Remember to check out all our stuff at theorangefizz.com and at OrangeFizz on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the game tomorrow night, and go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.